You're listening to Southern Fried Sports with Travis Ryer on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Is Southern Fried Sports with Bama Online Senior Analyst Travis Ryer on your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. FM Travis Ryer, senior analyst for BamaOnline.com, part of the 247sports.com network with you each and every weekday morning from 11 a.m. until noon. The show, as always, brought to you by Peter Brook Chocolates here out there at 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hill section of Tuscaloosa. You know, I've told you in the past, and these are still obviously very relevant and timely for the, the time of the year that we're in, those chocolate uh, footballs that you can get at Peterbrook Chocolate here. Of course, they're inflated with that chocolate-covered popcorn, which makes it doubly the awesome treat. Um, because of Halloween, there are also the chocolate-covered pumpkins. Not actual pumpkins, but they're in the shape of a pumpkin, and they're chocolate, and they, too, have the chocolate-covered popcorn inside those chocolate pumpkins there at Peterbrook Chocolatier, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North. Joined, as always, on the program by executive producer James Ludeman, who together we combine to form the 60 minute of Sports Talk Radio. James, uh, is this the day? Is this the day that your Rays close out the trash throws in that ALCS? Yeah, you asked me that uh, last week when we were right before the uh, ALCS against the Yankees. You asked me, is this the day? And I told you Yes, today's the day. And I didn't think we were going to sweep them. I wasn't very confident. Um, but, man, I think today has to be the day. I, I don't want this series to go any longer than it needs to. Jose Altuve with a home run yesterday for the Astros in that game four win for Houston, forcing that fifth game in the ALCS. Meanwhile, you know, we talked about this before the show a little bit. At least Braves fans didn't have to sit through the full nine innings like James did with his Rays. I mean, you could watch really the first two-thirds, not even the first full inning of that uh, top of the first yesterday with the Dodgers doing massive damage at the plate. We wondered about that yesterday on the program because the Dodgers mounted such a charge late in game two at the plate, scoring those seven runs. Uh, between the seventh and ninth innings, and yes, unfortunately for the Braves, there was certainly some carryover uh, yesterday in Arlington, Texas. Uh, so now, on the heels of a 15 to three defeat, the Braves looking at Clayton Kershaw. You know, Clayton had that game two start pushed back, and now you get him with that two and O record and 1.93 ERA in the 2020. Postseason. Meanwhile, the Braves counter with Bryce Wilson. Not exactly Tom Glavin. The Braves are running out there in this pivotal game four. Well, I have a, I have a question for you. Clayton okay. Kershaw, over his career, has struggled in the postseason. Do you think that no, happens no. today? It hasn't happened really this postseason. So uh, you know, I tend to go with talent and the bigger the bigger track record. I know things happen, things change when. Individuals get into postseason play. I get a little bit of the lemon butt, as they call it. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily the concern with Clayton Kershaw. But here's the thing. I know there's sort of this narrative now, well, whoever wins game four is going to win the series. And, you know, that would that would appear ominous in this matchup for the Braves when you just look at the pitching 
that's going to be on display to open today's game. But I, I, I think is the Braves with this lineup, they have a, a puncher's chance regardless. And look, you're still going to turn it around to Max Freed and Ian Anderson, who both been great. So I, I don't think this is a do or die, lose or leave town type scenario for either team. I think it's being presented that way more from the Braves side of things. But no, I think regardless of today, the Braves still at two and two, or certainly you hope they go to three and one in the series. Uh, very much relevant uh, in this in this series. Two zero five three four two nine nine zero four. That is the Peterbrook Chocolatier Studio, and obviously the massive news of Wednesday since we last spoke: the positive tests for COVID nineteen involving both Alabama head football coach Nick Saban. Also, University of Alabama Athletics Director, Greg Byrne. Uh, first and foremost, you again, you, you, your thoughts are more towards the collective health of that duo. Uh, and really, everybody they've been in contact with, immediate family. I know Nick in his Zoom conference last night following Wednesday's practice. And Nick, by the way, <laughs> he wasn't in a mood to sort of get out of his routine just yet. And, you know, watching that Zoom conference, listening in on it, Nick, as he said, didn't look the worst for wear at this point, or at that point anyway. Uh, said he was asymptomatic to that point. Um, you know, we, we haven't heard as much from Greg Byrne. Obviously, our, our thoughts are, are with him as well. And, and again, you know, sustaining as, as high a level of good health as possible through all this. And look, we all know everyone's holding their breasts right now in anticipation of this second round of COVID-19 testing, not only not only for Nick Saban and Greg Byrne, by the way, but you know, the concern, obviously, is does this become more of a spread issue in the coming days? Nick Saban said last night that yesterday there hadn't been any players that had tested positive uh, on Wednesday for COVID-19. So that's initially good news, but as we've seen in some other situations around athletics and college football specifically, uh, it can sort of crop up on you. Look at the Titans. I mean, that seemed to be an everyday thing for like a week as far as positive tests popping up. Now, the good news is we saw the Tennessee Titans on Monday night, uh, or actually Tuesday night, deliver an absolute beatdown on the Buffalo Bills. So it looks like things are back in pretty good working order for the Titans, but you kind of figured all along, you know, we were sort of stepping. We weren't tiptoeing through the tulips. We were, we are, and we continue to sort of tiptoe through a minefield when it comes to trying to keep this thing between the ditches. And that's what the SEC in general has experienced this week. Missouri and Vanderbilt postponed to December 12th. Florida and LSU postponed to December 12th. And so this afternoon, um, you know, all eyes to Tuscaloosa, not only because it involves arguably the greatest college football coach of all time in Nick Saban and his health, first and foremost, but you got number three Georgia set to come here Saturday night, take on the second ranked Alabama Crimson Tide and contingency plans, things like that. I mean, you got game day. You got game day set to come here. I know Tom Rinaldi's already been in the area. Um, uh, this week, and I'm sure their crew is set to uh, get into town either today or tomorrow. Probably more like tomorrow because of the situation. But you know, if you're college game day, you're, you're planning on a production from here in Tuscaloosa. So you know, secondarily, again, uh, stuff like that has to be taken into consideration. Now, I know Nick talked about it on his teleconference last night, and. We talked about it in the immediate aftermath there at BamaOnline.com. I know folks have done it everywhere in the last, I guess, 18 hours or so. Uh, and, and Nick spoke to the possibility of, in some form or fashion, having involvement, having a presence in Saturday night's game with Georgia. As last night moved along, there became some examples that you've already seen in college football where there is protocol – that prevents the head coach, if he is in quarantine, from having involvement during a game, whether through technology or with his presence in general. You saw it with Mike Norvell at Florida State. 
you know, Mike Norvell had to miss the Miami game, spared himself, as we know, after how that one turned out down there in South Florida. Uh, Mike Norvell was able to address his team, I believe, before it left the hotel to go to the stadium to take on Miami. But during the actual game itself, uh, he was off limits to having communication, direct communication uh, with the coaching staff. So if Nick Saban is in quarantine on Saturday night, it is Steve Sarkeesian and the rest of that staff's show against the Georgia Bulldogs, which leads me to the question. It's a bigger game for on Saturday night. If it plays out that way, Nick Saban's quarantine, and it's Sark versus Kirby. Who's that the bigger game for? Steve Sarkeesian, one-time head coach at two different Power Five stops, University of Washington, Southern California. So he's done this at a helmet school, right? You know Washington isn't SC or what SC has been in the past. Washington isn't Alabama. But Washington, you know, it's not uh, JSU either, okay? So he's been on this type of stage before. And based on what we know and where he's come from in his personal life, he's as in good a position to handle this situation as he's ever been in all likelihood. You know, the concern you had with Steve Sarkeesian, one of my immediate thoughts yesterday when I heard the news about Nick Saban was, well, this was a guy who underwent a cardiac procedure himself um, during the offseason. And, uh, you know, you worry about his susceptibility. And then we got the statement from the medical staff there with the Alabama football program in relation to those with, you know, kind of a, a contact tracing situation. Uh, I don't know how all that works. I've been asked about it. Well, you know, if Nick Saban is COVID positive, how does the coaching staff in its entirety not go into quarantine? I don't know. I don't know how that works. Uh, because, again, with Mike Norvell at Florida State, same situation, the rest of the staff coached, to the best of my knowledge, against Miami. So I, I don't have the answer to that. But it does logistically, depending on Saban's availability for Saturday night, bring up some questions as well. You're not, in other words, going to have a Sabot, right? There's not going to be a Nick Sabot just rolling around on the sideline with like a flat screen with Nick Saban on it. And he's coaching, cyber coaching Nick Sabot. It's not going to happen Saturday night. Well, I wonder, gonna, I wonder if that – like Siri, you know. Uh, I wonder if that actually will help uh, the Alabama defense a little bit for, for Pete Golding to not have Nick Saban kind of right there watching you behind your back in your every move. You, you think that may help these coaches out a little if that, more? If, that, if that's a factor for a coach, then he's, he's definitely the wrong guy. Because if you can't deal with, with that presence, then you, you shouldn't be coordinating a defense at the Power 5 level. So – you know, if that is something that actually helps Pete Golding, what do you do when Nick Saban comes back? Because Nick's coming back, you know. It's like coaches, I believe Gene Stallings used to tell Alabama kickers when he was the head coach, um, you know, kickers that struggled in practice to make kicks in front of him on like Wednesday. And, you know, he could kind of pick up on that and he'd tell him, look, son, I'm going to be at the game Saturday too. <laughs> so... You Love need to it. be able to make them on Wednesday, just like we need you to be able to make them on Saturday. Uh, you know, I think there's a couple different ways to look at that. It, it, there's that angle. Um, you know, there's also the angle that I think most of the Alabama fan base's mindset is right now is, oh, my God, you know, as, as rough as it's been in the large stretches over these last two games, these nine quarters really going back to the fourth quarter of the Missouri game. Uh, which was probably more symptomatic of, of some issues than some of us believed at the time, me included. Uh, you know, is, if, if, if it's been like this with Nick Saban there, what's it going to be like without him? I've said all week, as much as anything, matchups and mindsets change with every week. Comfort level is a big uh, part of things. You know, how does your personnel feel mentally in terms of psyche about going against a specific style or specific personnel. 
you know, I've been of the belief all week that things should slow down for the Alabama defense considerably going from Ole Miss and the way it goes about its business and the way Georgia does things this week, more along the lines of what we saw from Texas A&M a couple weeks ago. Uh, but, you know, whether Nick Saban's actually at practice or at games or not, simply put, you got to tackle better first and foremost. You know, if you tackle better this week with or without Nick Saban there, uh, it'll be amazing how much better the defensive effort comes off there on CBS on Saturday night. Man, the SEC schedule in general kind of took a hit this week. And again, you're, you're sort of holding your breath with Georgia and Alabama as you head into the afternoon hours today. But um, yeah, I mean, LSU, Florida, gone in that 230 spot on CBS, postponed to, to December the 12th. But look, I think there is still... Um, you know, a very intriguing slate. Auburn, three-point favorite on the road at South Carolina. By the way, that's one of Rusty's picks this week for his home dogs. Rusty likes South Carolina getting the three at home against the Auburn Tigers. You've also got a rebound game for Tennessee. Has Georgia reached the point as a program of being similar to Alabama in the past where they would face an opponent the previous week, and there would be a lot put into that matchup. And Alabama would methodically win the game by three or four scores. And then that opponent in defeat would wobble into the next week and maybe get beat twice by Alabama. Is Georgia that type of team? I think we'll find that out about Tennessee on Saturday at home against a Kentucky team. Again, if you sleepwalk into that, and Kentucky feeling a lot better about itself now, coming off that win over Mississippi State up in Lexington, what a defensive effort. Six interceptions. Uh, if you can pick off uh, K.J. Costello and Will Rogers, the backup quarterback for Mississippi State, a combined six times, you might get Jared Quarantano a couple of times this week. Ole Miss in Arkansas looks a lot better now than it would have, say, a month ago. Ole Miss, you're going to watch because Lane and that offense, they're going to entertain you. Um, you know, Arkansas, as we talked about all week, should be 2-0 and in the division. Um, you know, Arkansas fans have a reason, the ones that can anyway, have a reason to show up for that one against Ole Miss on Saturday. And then, you know, Texas A&M, as we've talked about, what's the trust level in the Aggies after that win over Florida? They, too, a road favorite in the SEC this week at six and a half, uh, laying the six and a half at Mississippi State. Mississippi State, uh, awful the last couple of weeks. Welcome to the SEC, Mike Leach. Uh, LSU wasn't really it. Uh, LSU was a little bit of fool's gold, I think, for the Pirate. Pirate found uh, some, some, some uh, fool's gold uh, bouillon or something, you know. That wasn't real gold. That wasn't the 14 carat stuff for the Pirate. But uh, so that'll be an interesting matchup as well. We're going to get into some questions with Chris Hummer, the National College Football Writer for 247sports.com, coming up in just a little bit. Among the questions for Chris Hummer, through three games, who is his SEC Coach of the Year? If he had to name a dominant SEC defender right now, What's the one guy, who's the one guy that would instantly come to mind? We'll ask him about Sark and Kirby if it comes down to it on Saturday night. Kirby's already lost to a couple backups for Alabama. Now he's possibly facing the backup head coach. Um, and given the SEC issues this week, if you're the Big Ten, how are you feeling about your upcoming season? We'll ask Chris about that and a whole lot more. When Southern Fried Sports, presented by Peterbrook Chocolatier, returns on a Thursday on Tide 100.9 FM right after this. From the University of Alabama, this is Crimson Tide Today. It's a daily update on Bama sports, and it's brought to you by Sun South John Deere, the preferred tractor equipment for Alabama athletics. Visit sunsouth.com or any of their 21 locations across the southeast. Hello again, everybody. I'm Roger Hoover. 
Georgia Week brings back fond memories for Alabama fans of 2nd and 26, with Devontae Smith catching the game-winning touchdown to deliver Alabama's 17th national championship. That was when he was a freshman. Now he's a senior, and he's ready to bring his best effort on Saturday. You have to be physical every week. Just going out there and knowing that when the ball is not coming to you, you still have a job. Whether it's um, blocking the safety, blocking the corner, that's still your job even when it's not a pass play. And that's something around here that if you don't block, you're not going to play. That's all that we preach up in our room is playing without the ball. And I feel like we're doing a great job of doing that. I'll have more in a moment. Have you priced a new John Deere tractor lately? SunSouth John Deere has a full line of affordable lawn and tractor equipment this season. SunSouth John Deere has an affordable roster for everyone, from riding mowers to utility vehicles and lots of tractors. Stop by any of the 21 locations across Alabama, Mississippi, and Georgia, or visit sunsouth.com to find out what is right for you. Any budget, any project, SunSouth has you covered. Proud to be the preferred tractor equipment dealer of the Alabama Crimson Tide. Join us tonight for Hey Coach and the Nick Saban Show on the Crimson Tide Sports Network. Eli Gold hosts starting at 6.30 p.m. Central across the network as he'll be joined by Coach Saban as well as Alabama women's tennis coach Jenny Mines and Andy Staples from The Athletic. If you cannot listen at 6.30, the show will be archived on our Alabama Insider podcast, available on all podcast platforms. And that's your Bama update. Crimson Tide Today brought to you by Sun South John Deere. Crimson Tide Today is a production of the Crimson Tide Sports Network. The sky partly to mostly sunny this afternoon. Warm, the high close to 85. For tonight, fair with a low at 55. Noticeably cooler tomorrow. Sunny and breezy at times, the high 68. And a beautiful day on Saturday. The sky sunny, the high 71. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. Tide 100.9. For more coverage of Alabama football, visit us at Tide100.9.com or download the free Tide 100.9. 247sports.com. Uh, I'm guessing Chris has kind of pulled himself back together after taking in that Texas-Oklahoma game last Saturday in the Cotton Bowl. Uh, I guess it was surreal in some ways in terms of the setting and the environment and the crowd, but in a lot of ways it was it was textbook Big 12 football. It was kind of what the SEC is becoming simultaneously. And uh, it, it looked like, based on some of the the post-game shots of the crowd, there was still the, the good old-fashioned hate still in play there between those two. Oh, yeah, that, that never goes away. We didn't see any pregame scuffles like we normally would, unfortunately. I think that was a big part of the rivalry. Last year, uh, the refs called an unsportsmanlike penalty on the entire Sooner and Texas teams before the game even got started, so that was weird. But, yeah, by the end of the game, I think – you saw some of the animosity. You saw a really crazy, wild game that we kind of all come to expect with that rivalry, and uh, it was it was a good time. It was a fun game to kind of see unfold, and in really typical Texas fashion, they kind of collapsed. Unbelievable, it really was. It seemed like uh, you, you couldn't get either one of those teams to win the game. Uh, and for a while there, you sort of wondered about the big picture future of Spencer Rattler. The Oklahoma quarterback uh, had a couple of the the plays that he, he has made this year where you, you kind of scratch your head more than a little bit, but uh, at the end of the day, he 
he made one more uh, that, that he needed to make, and, and OU got the job done. Now, you kind of previewed that Texas State fair for us last week. What what was that like? I saw you in line, it looked like. Was that a corn dog or a hot dog that you were waiting on there? Man, I was just I was scouting it out, doing a little work for my job, uh-huh. and I figured I sure. could get fried food after. Like There were uh-huh. like 30 booths open, way less than normal. Leave the stadium <laughs> at five, and like I got told they were closed. Man, it was awful. But uh, oh, yeah, people were getting corn dogs. But yeah, I mean, it was it didn't feel like the state fair or anything like that. But it was it was nice to see at least some like fried food out there for people to consume. Yeah, what doesn't feel like much of what we're used to either around these parts is defense uh, in the southeastern conference uh, in 2020. Um, Chris, if I asked you to give me the one dominant defender in the Southeastern Conference through three games who comes to your mind instantly, would it take you a little bit to come up with that guy, or is there there one that has maybe stood out to you at this point? Uh, I mean, I think it would I think it'd take a little while. It's been all offense in the SEC so far, and I mean, Georgia's probably the exception there, but even that defense doesn't really have – kind of your surefire lockdown first round, like going to dominate your offense kind of guy. Um, that's more of a collective effort than anything else. I think that unit probably has like 10 to 15 future NFL players when you look at the two deep, but maybe other than like an Eric Stokes, uh, maybe a Tyson Campbell, if he kind of continues to improve, maybe they can sneak into the first round. But I mean, it's just a great unit. There's not one individual player. Adam Anderson's been excellent so far kind of off the edge and um, along with a couple other pass rushers for that unit. But yeah, it's like, it's been a rough year for SEC defenses. I, I just, it's hard. I have a hard time kind of coming up with that guy so far. Yeah. I think that's going to be, you hit on some of that area for Georgia for Saturday night. I think that's going to be a, a huge matchup in this game. Aziz Ojolari on the one edge and, you know, you'll see a combination of guys that Georgia will use based on down and distance uh, including, as you said, Adam Anderson, um, you know, Nolan, Nolan Smith, Smith obviously yeah. as a recruit two classes ago was a huge target for, for just about every program in the country. And then you're going to have Alex Leatherwood and Evan Neal at the tackle spots for Alabama. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And I mean, Evan Neal and Alex Leatherwood will be out there every snap, uh, really two of the more athletic, uh, big men in the country when you talk about the tackle position. I, I don't know if Alex has been quite as good as he would have liked to have been this season, but he's been solid. And same thing with Evan Neal. And Georgia is just going to come at teams in waves kind of along its front. They go eight. They go basically six to nine deep. Um, they, they rotate deep, them out yeah. frequently to keep them fresh. Yeah, so it'll be really kind of compelling to see that work. And I, I really think that's a big reason Georgia's been so successful. Um, those guys are fresh every snap they take. They're going, there's no kind of like plays off. Even when teams go hurry, they kind of get their rotations out. And it makes for um, some really dominant defensive play at times just because they're able to come at you in waves. Ojalari was a big problem for Wanya Morris last Saturday in watching that game. The Tennessee sophomore left tackle. And we know how talented Tennessee's offensive line is, but. Ojalari at about 240 with a dynamic first step. He's got some flexibility, can bend and dip. Uh, he was he was trouble. Had two sacks in that game, two forced fumbles as a result of those. And but you're right, the depth of Georgia, especially in that front seven, especially stands out. And I guess for you mentioned Stokes, and he's sort of low key been Georgia's best corner for a couple of years now, even with Tyson Campbell back there. Uh, he's got an opportunity, right? I mean, when you talk about the next level with Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell up for him, he's a guy that hadn't probably been targeted as much, but as Derek Stingley found out a year ago, with those type of receivers, uh, you know, Alabama's not afraid to go with anybody. Yeah, and uh, I think I think Alabama's, usually the offense is going to get the better of those matchups. I think anytime, I think in football, you just generally find that the aggressor at least for those flashy plays and those plays that can change the game often has a better chance to kind of get through. I mean, linemen are win most of those matchups, but you only kind of notice it when it doesn't work. And I think that's the same thing with these corners. Like Devontae, uh, Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle are going to get theirs on Saturday. I have absolutely no doubt. And I, 
I really think if there's a thing Georgia has going to have a difficult time contending with, it's going to be Jalen Waddle on the slot. Like Tyson Campbell and Eric Stokes are really good on the outside. I just don't really know if if Jalen's in the slot, if Georgia really has anybody that can slow him down and kind of that role. And I think that's going to be the key matchup on offense uh, for Alabama uh, versus Georgia's defense. I really Alabama. So there's some security back there, but the yards after the catch for both these teams too. You know, Alabama defensively has been atrocious the last couple of games in terms of uh, that statistic, especially last week against Ole Miss. It wasn't like Matt Corral was taking the top off the defense. I mean, there were just some some pop passes, some quick hits that you know turned into explosive plays. Tackling is such a problem for this defense so far this season. And then, as you pointed out, Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle, you can get those guys the ball on the run. Uh, they can kind of take care of the rest there for you. Hey, Chris, three games into the season, if I asked you, who's the SEC coach of the year to this point, who would be your pick? Man, that's a that's a great question. Uh, and I mean, look, we understand I'm, a lot of times it's a most improved award, right? I mean, that's 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 a lot of times who gets that, you know, or or someone that's championship contending or caliber that maybe hasn't been on a consistent basis. It's not a Nick Saban award, you know, even though he's three and zero, and you know, it's yeah. not a Kirby Smart award as much I anymore it, either. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I honestly just like kind of thinking about it for a second. I really think it might be Sam Pittman. Like mm-hmm. that Arkansas team was awful a season ago, and they look. I mean, they're not going to beat a ton of teams this year. Auburn really close last week. Probably should have won that game if not for kind of a interesting refing decision. And I, I think Sam Pittman's done just an excellent job in a very short amount of time. Like he made two great coordinator hires. That offensive line is playing lights out right now, despite maybe not having some Sam Pittman pieces that you'd expect. And I mean, he's got a losing record, but I think Sam Pittman and probably Lane Kiffin probably have the best two arguments if we're kind of taking everything into account. And we're going to see them both uh, in Fayetteville Saturday afternoon. I mean, that's become a game that you'll watch now because of the starts for both of those uh, both of those coaches. And I agree if if the officiating goes the way it should have. If it's properly officiated in Auburn last Saturday, Sam Pittman's 2-0 and in his first two SEC Western Division games. And uh, he would be impossible to sort of turn away from in, and in that scenario. I was going to say that um, Arkansas Ole Miss game is going to be extra fun because like, I, I don't know how many people paid attention to Baylor. Well, anyway, but their offense under Art Bryles is kind of a veer and shoot Took college football by storm kind of around 2010 mm-hmm. to like 2013. And there are just not many people in college football that run it. But we have two of them in this game on Saturday uh, with Jeff Levy and uh, Kendall Bryles. Um, it's a really dynamic system, and it's just kind of dying out because Art Bryles did not teach it to many people. And this is one of the few times we'll ever see it go head-to-head. And uh, I think that'll be really fascinating offensively on Saturday. It's kind of served, from the Bryles' perspective, as a renaissance for Felipe Frank so far out at Arkansas. Four touchdown passes against Auburn last week, over 300 passing yards for Felipe Franks. I didn't have that. You know, I didn't play him in my fantasy against Auburn, <laughs> put it that way, to put up those kind of numbers. Yeah, and uh, I think that, that system has made a lot of quarterbacks look good over the years. And Felipe, for all of his flaws, and he still makes a couple of Felipe Franks decisions every game that make you kind of scratch your head. Uh, but with his arm talent and kind of the way – that system is run, um, kind of half-field reads. Uh, quarterbacks really know where to go with the football pretty quickly based on a couple of cues from the defense. And uh, Felipe is a guy that could potentially light it up there. And, like, he's not – there's not really, like, a ton of skill talent on the outside for Felipe to del- deliver the ball to as well. So I-, I think it's kind of cool to see him revitalize his career a little bit with uh, Kendall Riles over there. And um, he certainly got all the talent in the world necessary to kind of keep it going. Yeah, other than I'd say maybe Trey Knox, not a lot of LSU, Alabama, even Florida, maybe Georgia kind of guys uh, in that offense as of yet when it comes to playmakers. Talking with Chris Hummer, national college football writer for 247sports.com. So Saturday night, and let's start with this. 
your reaction to the news yesterday that Nick Saban and Greg Byrne both had tested positive. Were you were you blindsided by it, or when you take into account that in Saban we're talking about a guy in three Saturdays will turn 69 years old, maybe not so much surprised. Just uh, how that sort of hit you yesterday evening. I mean, I shouldn't be surprised. Um, it's not like we've seen multiple coaches in college football get COVID-19 so far. Kevin Sumlin, Les Miles, uh, Mike Norvell, I think Jason Candle. Like, this has happened. Um, but I think anytime I think I think we can all agree Nick Saban is the kind of figure in college football. He's the most recognizable figure. He's the biggest name in the sport. And anytime somebody of that kind of magnitude gets sick or catches COVID-19 like that, I think you do have to kind of take a minute and pause and kind of reflect on kind of everything that's going on, especially given the precautions Alabama has put in place medically to kind of prevent it, players and staff from getting that. And for Nick Saban to get that, I had a, the biggest college football game of the year. I think it just calls into attention, like what college football is also dealing with this season as a whole. I think we're on four cancelizations this weekend. College football is going to continue to push forward, but it's just kind of a reality check for a sport that I think at times uh, prefers to just kind of turn an eye to the virus, but it's, it's not going away. Like it's part of our kind of daily existence until a vaccine's ready. If in fact Nick Saban is quarantined, isolated, can't be involved in the game Saturday night, does that just add more pressure to this thing for Kirby or uh, is this a bigger moment for Steve Sarkeesian potentially and his quest to get back to, you know, the the upper power five level and who knows, maybe even the NFL these days. Uh, how do you kind of handicap that in terms of you know, who might be feeling it the most on Saturday night? Yeah, well, first, I just want to know what happens with the streak. Like, if Kirby wins Saturday, like, does the streak <laughs> asterisk. go away? If Nick... Yeah, it's asterisk, yeah. It's like Roger okay. Maris's 61 home runs, you know? It'll be an asterisk. <laughs> I look forward to the Hall of Fame plaque with an asterisk <laughs> one day. Um, yeah. It'll be on Kirby Smart's Hall of Fame plaque, beat Nick Saban, asterisk, asterisk. but he was not yeah. coaching. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I certainly think the pressure is on Kirby Smart. Like, I don't think there's much question there. Um like he needs this for the program to kind of finally say he could beat Alabama. Like Nick's not coaching. Um, Alabama's defense is coming to this game with a lot of issues. Yeah. I don't think there's much question. Big Al could be over there Saturday night. Kirby needs a W over Alabama. I don't think there's any question about that either. You know, we talked about most dominant defensive player in the sec through three games and, you know, the answer should have been easy, right? Should have been Derek Stingley, the corner for LSU. Uh, he's had issues, as we know, missed the season opener against Mississippi State due to illness. You know, and watching LSU and watching Stingley last Saturday at Missouri, something's not right there still, I don't think, Chris. I, I don't know. I don't cover that program on a daily basis. But just watching him, whether it's physical or something else, that's not the same guy we saw last year. Yeah, we were texting about this a little earlier. Um, Derek, Derek was dominant last year, like absolutely dominant, best corner in college football. And he's been very okay so far. Missouri kind of lit him up a little bit. He had six targets and he allowed six receptions last week against the Tigers um, per PFF data. So, and Derek did not have a single game like that um, during his freshman season, even Alabama when he gave up that long touchdown to Devontae Smith. Like he, he won his share of matchups and he just wasn't doing that on Saturday. I don't know if it's physical. Obviously um, he missed the first game due to a really severe allergic reaction that sent him to the hospital. Like that could take some time to recover. Um, both Fellini's uh, schemes thus far have kind of, left a lot to the imagination, um, especially against Mississippi State. But he also had some pretty baffling calls against Missouri in terms of the way he brought pressure or tried to create it. So I'm sure that all kind of played a factor into it as well. Um, he, Derek has been asked to cover for really extended periods this year. LSU is not creating any pressure whatsoever, so that plays a role into it too. But you're right. You just He doesn't look like Derek Stingley so far, and that's pretty surprising because I think entering the year, 
other than Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and I guess among the players that are playing, Derek Stingley was the guy I really felt like college football fans could count on. He was the superstar. He was the guy who was going to produce, and he just he hasn't so far. Like That's kind of the reality. As we let you go, Chris, who wins here in Tuscaloosa, assuming we get a football game on Saturday night at Bryant-Denny Stadium? I mean, I, I picked Alabama, and I mean, Nick Saban being out gives me pause, but um, I mean, 21-0 is 21-0, and I still think Stetson Bennett's going to be a problem at quarterback for Georgia, so I'll go with the Tide until proven otherwise. There we go. Chris Hummer, National College Football Writer for 247sports.com, going with the Tide over the Dogs on Saturday night. Hey, Chris, as always, we appreciate the time. Thanks, my friend. Yeah, thanks so much. Chris Hummer. If you haven't already, give him a follow on Twitter at Chris underscore Hummer, H-U-M-M-E-R. Notice he didn't bring us any fried Snickers back from the uh, Texas State Fair either. Back with more of Southern Fried Sports on a Thursday right after this. You're listening to Southern Fried Sports with BamaOnline.com senior analyst Travis Ryer on your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. More of a Thursday edition of Southern Fried Sports right here on Tide 100.9 FM. Travis Ryder, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com with you each and every weekday morning from 11 a.m. until noon. Thanks again to Chris Hummer, National College Football Writer for 247sports.com. He told you he likes Alabama with or without Nick. He likes the Crimson Tide once again, once again over Kirby Smart and the Georgia Bulldogs. And, man, if Nick doesn't have a presence in that game and Kirby loses to not only a couple of backup quarterbacks in the calendar year of 2018, okay, so look, both of those quarterbacks for Alabama that played in those two games are both in the NFL now, okay? You know, those weren't uh, a couple walk-ons that sort of – Took care of Kirby there in those games. Good players. Uh, but that doesn't matter to Georgia fans. They're tired of it, man. I mean, they're literally wearing a patch on their uniforms this year to remind their players how long it's been since Georgia's won a national championship. They're celebrating the 40th anniversary of Georgia's last national title. Back with Hushel, the freshman from Wrightsville, Georgia, in the immortal words of the late, great Larry Munson. Can I ask you yeah. something, Travis, real quick? Yeah, go ahead. So, it, it, look, I know Nick Saban's not going to be on the sideline. So there are two things that could happen. Either, one, this is going to be a huge distraction for Alabama and they blow this game somehow, which is unlikely, but you never know. Or could this be a win-one-for-the-Gipper type game? Could be. You know, he said last night, he, you know, he got to watch practice via the Zoom and uh, he said in his post-practice remarks, semi-jokingly, I think, that he thought it was one of their better practices so far. And he wasn't there. I mean, he was he was there, but he wasn't physically there. So, yeah, you know, the thing that Nick Saban has created is kind of a culture and an environment where you don't get out of the moment. You know, he sort of wills the vacuum that they have in place over there off Bryant Drive. And that's where this should be beneficial because whether he's actually in the building or on the practice field or not, and it's noticeable, don't get me wrong, because he's very involved in every aspect of the program. And it's not just a defensive thing. I mean, he's over there with the offense during practice, during some portions, he's with the defense. He personally works the corners during individual drills. You know, this isn't a guy hiding out somewhere. He is, uh, it's, 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 you're going to notice when he's not out there. 
Um, but, you know, once you get into a game and the ball kicks off, uh, it's largely you're hearing from your position coach, you're hearing from your coordinator. That's where it could get interesting to me if he isn't there and isn't able to, you know, be a part of the proceedings in form, any form or fashion. You know, if he's out, does Alabama get to sort of bring up another assistant coach, uh, one of the analysts perhaps, and maybe not so much just the defensive side of the ball, even though that's Nick's background. You know, maybe because Sark, if he's in that role of acting head coach, you want another offensive coach, uh, a guy with quarterback experience, because we know Sark does that. We know Sark calls the plays. Maybe you want a guy like Major Applewhite uh, to come up if he's able to do that and assist uh, in that regard. There's going to be a lot that we're going to learn here, I think, in the next few hours after this latest round of tests. And again, you just hope that it's nothing serious for Nick Saban and Greg Byrne, but then also you don't learn about additional positive tests coming up later today. Going to head to our final break. As we do so, want to remind you the show brought to you in part by Houston Hydra Steam. Houston Hydra Steam, home of the Houston Rug Revival, 205-553-9460. Give Jackie a call right now. He'll get you set up. He'll get those rugs, those carpets, the upholstery, the tile, the grout. He's going to get all that handled for you in a first-class manner. Houston Hydra Steam, 205-553-9460. Houston Hydra Steam, quality work you can stand on. Back with more of a Thursday edition of Southern Fried Sports right after this. The sky partly to mostly sunny this afternoon. Warm, the high close to 85. For tonight, fair with a low at 55. Noticeably cooler tomorrow. Sunny and breezy at times, the high 68. And a beautiful day on Saturday. The sky sunny, the high 71. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. The flagship station for Alabama Crimson Tide football. Alabama touchdown. Only on Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. a wrap on a Thursday edition of Southern Fried Sports. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com with you each and every weekday morning from 11 a.m. until noon. The show brought to you in part by Chase's Residential and Commercial Cleaning. 20 years of quality cleaning experience. That's what you're going to get with Yashika Barnes and her outstanding company, Chase's Residential and Commercial Cleaning, 205 886-3616. Call them right now. They're going to pick up the phone first and foremost. And then in a very expeditious manner, they're going to get you set up. They're going to get you on the schedule. They're going to handle whatever specific cleaning you want performed, whether it's your home, whether it's your business. They're going to do that for you better than anyone else out there. I can promise you that. Chase's Residential and Commercial Cleaning, 205 886 one six. So, as we look ahead to the afternoon hours with great anticipation, it's kind of kept us from being able to really talk about this matchup, kind of get nuts and boltsy as much as we've wanted to, or we typically would. Uh, but there are some some good matchups. We hit on some of them with uh, Chris Hummer, and I'm going to drop three of them of note to me at least on BamaOnline.com coming up in the early afternoon hours. And among those, you're going to see matchups with Monty Rice and Nicobe Dean, the two inside linebackers for Georgia, going against Alabama running backs Najee Harris and Brian Robinson. There's a lot of crossover in some of these matchups on the recruiting trail, too. And I know Hank South of BamaOnline.com here in the last few days at BOL has sort of outlined that there. If you haven't seen that, you ought to check out all the different battles in terms of recruiting that's been out there. Um, Monty Rice is actually a Huntsville guy. He's an in-state guy. Nicobe Dean from the state of Mississippi, Alabama, was very involved in his recruitment a couple of cycles ago. Um, you know, I think you've got to still look at Alabama's safeties going up against Stetson Bennett. I know Chris Hummer was kind of dismissive 
of Stetson Bennett, but I don't think Alabama right now can look at any quarterback and go, oh, former walk-on, we'll be good. I don't think <laughs> I don't think Alabama safeties specifically can do that, and it's really not even so much about the quarterbacks. It's tackle, tackle people. So, uh, you know, that's one of the matchups we'll be looking at, especially with Jordan Battle out for the first two quarters on Saturday night. Is it Daniel Wright and DeMarco Helms that Alabama opens with at safety? Is there some juggling that goes on there? Maybe you do some things that allow you to get Malachi more and more involved at safety. If you do that, what's the fallout at star? Maybe you take an extra corner and play your third corner at star this week. And maybe that allows you to play Malachi more, more at safety. Bottom line is we've talked about throughout the week, still got to have somebody make the calls back there. And that's why it's still difficult for me to envision Daniel Wright not being one of the two guys to open the game at one of the safety spots. We talked with Chris about Alex Leatherwood and Evan Neal going up against Aziz Ojalari and Malik Herring, Herring, excuse me, for Georgia. Uh, But again, that's a matchup where based on down and distance, you're going to see Nolan Smith. You're going to see Adam Anderson. uh, You're going to see a rotation of guys in pass rush situations. Uh, I think one of the advantages for Alabama in this is that even if it gets to the point where they need to go to more six, seven man protection, Smith and Waddle and now Mechie are so dynamic that if you are forced to go more to three-man routes, you're still going to get people open. The bottom line is you just need to protect Mac Jones. Give him a little bit of time. That's going to do it for a Thursday edition of Southern Fried Sports. Thanks again to James Ludeman for producing the program. Thanks to Chris Hummer. Thanks to you for listening. The lunch whistle on this Thursday. That's going to be Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. Man, what a big weekend coming up. The Georgia Bulldogs in town. You're going to want to be right in the middle of it. You can do that at Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. So easy to park right there at the central deck in downtown Tuscaloosa. And then Frank, Will, the rest of the crew there at Heat Pizza Bar are going to take great care of you. Until 11 a.m. on Friday, Travis Ryer, hoping you have a great rest of your Thursday, everybody. 